If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts, and if you're looking for a creative degree, they might be able to help you out. If you're keen to learn more, have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got an offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to episode 152 of Pixel Sip, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Daniel Lang and I'm your host tonight and with me is my co-host Fiona Bartholomeus. Thanks for joining me. Hey, how are you going? Pretty good, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. And our guest tonight is Ashley Starmer-Lee, who is the lead artist at Hipster Whale. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Ashley. <laughs> hey. And Hipster Whale are the developers of games such as the absolutely massive smash hit Crossy Roads and Pac-Man 256, but tonight we'll be taking a little bit of a look about their newest game, Crossy Road Castle. All right, let's just get straight into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Our guest this evening is Ashley Starmer-Lee, who is the lead artist at Hipster Whale, and she's here to talk about their new game, Crossy Road Castle. So, Ashley, let's start off with, uh, for those who don't know what Crossy Road Castle is, what's it all about? Uh, it's like a really fun multiplayer uh, co-op platformer, sort of, sort of endless in the same way that Crossy Road is. So how long was this game in development for? Uh, not very long. I joined... Uh, the company last year in March and at that point we had like a very basic prototype for it and then development was pretty much wrapped up in December last year. That's a pretty quick turnaround for a game especially a mobile game where it's a castle-based structure. (laughs) Yeah. And was it daunting to follow up from Crossy Road you know which is one of a huge viral success and one of the biggest Australian made games of the last decade? Yeah it was crazy um, joining the hipster whale family. Um, I had like an interesting task with Crossy Road Castle because it obviously has a lot of the same characters from Crossy Road. So it was a bit of a process sort of redesigning them to work in a platformer rather than like a isometric perspective. So how did you go about doing that? Because I don't know a lot about art. Daniel knows a lot. But how does that process work of taking what you had and changing it into another form? Mm, we call it chibification to create a chibi, a uh, small version of an existing character. Um, but basically, I sort of worked out like a size limit they had to be. So all characters 
fit. Like we have like cannons and different like things they have to interact with in the castle. So I had to make sure they'd all fit in that. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of trial and error, but um, I think also like the colors are a little bit more vibrant and playful in Crossy Road Castle. So we mentioned um, earlier off air that when it comes to rigging for these characters, it's not actually mm. rigging because they're kind of just voxels moving around and that sort of thing. And for Crossy Road Castle, was it a similar approach to animation? Yeah, all the um, character animation is done through code in Unity. So I don't actually uh, have to animate too much. Uh, some things like require an animator, like uh, the vending machines um, need to be animated. But just for the characters jumping around, it's really just them kind of bopping. Um, yeah. And for bosses, uh, you mentioned also that some of the bosses are rigged. And what kind of things do you have to think about when doing the different bosses? Mm, yeah, the bosses are a unique challenge because they actually have like wings most of the time. So they're a lot more articulated than just like a little kind of squishy toy shape. So have to sort of figure out where I want those points of articulation to be so that it doesn't like look too weird because we have to still like stay on style with the the voxels and everything. So I don't really want anything deforming weirdly. Um, yeah. So I have I have like the meshes all separated out. I'll like make them out of voxels and then I'll bring them into um, Maya where I do my animating and then place it all together and set where all like the joints and everything are and animate in there. So how do you go about making the levels cohesive and easy to read for the players visually? Uh, so with that, that's like fairly early on. Um, we'll like, once we've decided like what tower we're making, um, Ali, our designer, sort of has like an outline of the kinds of mechanics and things he wants to have in that tower. And that from that point onwards, like I have to sort of think for color palettes and like if there's a new mechanic, what is it going to look like? Um, to, so very early on, I'm sort of planning out like how all the elements are going to come in together later, like the backgrounds and the sort of just set dressing art doesn't distract too much from the gameplay art. And some of the core motifs that are in the level design, um, could you walk us through some of the things that stay consistent as you design the levels? Mm, yeah, usually the levels we've designed them to be like quite fast, so not not anything too long. I think most of them are over in about thirty seconds. Um, we've got like designed it sort of there's like a difficulty level, so we've got like a batch of like very easy rooms, and so there's like commonalities between them. So each tower in a very easy room, you can expect to be like introduced to any new mechanics, but it's always like very safe. And then as the difficulty increases, like there's going to be uh, more threats and opportunities to die. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned like different mechanics coming in and difficulties, but how do you make a repeating and cooperative platform challenging, uh, make it challenging, engaging for players to continue playing it? Oh, okay. So one of the things we do is we've got like a lot of variants. So we'll have like a basic room uh, that you'll experience. I don't know. It'll have fun stuff to do in it. Um, and then one thing we do is we'll take that room and kind of remix it a bit. So the main the main sort of experience is still there, like the same mechanics are there, but it's like a new arrangement of that room. And so as you're playing 
you might get like a new version of a room you've already done, but you haven't seen this one yet. So it's like a little bit different. And as far as the art style goes, everything's very voxel and cute and, you know, um, high saturated colors and everything. And how important it, uh, how important was it to use the existing world and characters of the original Crossy Road? And why didn't uh, you guys develop a brand new visual identity? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, the, the Crossy Road characters, I think, are just really appealing. Um, and the game is like so successful that we've got like a lot of people that are just like attached to it like it's quite a good identifiable brand at this point um the like little crossy road chicken so it felt like we should um continue on with that uh, we do have like some new characters as well it's sort of like a mix um blue the cat is my first original character um in crossy road castle okay could you walk us through the design of blue and sort of how you approached it Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was actually fairly challenging um, because I'm working with a smaller voxel count than Crossy Road um, original. And Crossy Road original, there's a lot more um, freedom for like differently sized characters. You can play as like a little like can of drink or like a dragon. Um, so that's like much more free. Whereas in Crossy Road Castle, everything has to fit those size constraints. So I don't have as much detail to work with and all the cats that you can play in crossy road have like these great big like open mouths with these like goofy teeth and stuff um but it was really hard to get to translate that across into like a lower voxel character um so i did go through a lot of iterations trying to get it just right um yeah we've ended up with like a kind of little pouty cat mouth instead of big scary teeth i do have some like scary teeth options but there's not really any opportunity to use them in game, maybe like on social. And as, especially with those constraints, um, I think a lot of it is implied detail, you know, so like a little color here could represent something else. And in your mm. opinion, what makes a unique character, especially within these constraints? Is there anything that you're particularly proud of? Oh, I quite like the Prince character I made. He's the secret character for the first tower. Um, but yeah, a lot of his, like, he has like a little prince outfit and a lot of the details are kind of implied like he's got like a white voxel under his chin which kind of looks like a cravat um and he has like i don't know it's really fun i actually have a lot of respect for pixel artists after um starting working on this because it's like yeah implying implying like fine detail with just like a simple like cube um is really difficult but like when you get it right it's like oh yes <laughs> <laughs> So where do you get the inspiration for your characters? Hmm. You mentioned they're like a, a little soda bottle or something as or a dragon. Oh, or yeah. a dragon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so generally uh we have like our library of crossy road characters. So I'm always like looking to see if there's an appropriate fit in the current tower, but usually it's driven by what the like current theme is we're working with. Um so our second tower across the uh what is it called construction tower um our second tower is a construction level themed tower so we have like a pigeon because it's like an urban city setting so I basically think of like what's a cute character that could exist in this setting and then we all kind of discuss it together um and kind of like make a short list of like what could work and then i'll go and uh, mock them up 
in Cubicle and see if any of them look really appealing. <laughs> and when approaching these characters, how many iterations do you tend to do? Is it kind of, do you take it by different characters or is it sort of, do you have a process that you tend to fall back on? Mm, it's really quite quick to make characters in Cubicle, um, which is why I used to make my voxel characters. It's just, um, I come from like a traditional like 3D um, modeling background and the pipeline for creating voxel characters is just like so fast. I just <laughs> build it and then I put it in Unity and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> it's like all ready to go. Um, so it is like if I do iterations on a design, it's like I can instantly see it in game um, and play with it, like checking back and forth if I like the changes or how it's going, you know. So we mentioned at the very beginning, but you're actually the the lead artist at Hipster Whale. Could you tell us what your average day-to-day at, at work is like? Yeah. Um, my department is just me <laughs> at the moment. We do have a contract artist that I get on fairly regularly to help out um, with concept art. Um, but, yeah, a general day is at the moment working from home. Um, so... Yeah, just opening up Cubicle. I have a spreadsheet of all of my tasks I need to get through for each sort of sprint worth of work and just iterating on that, jumping into Unity, testing things. And I actually do a lot of unintentional QA because I'm playing the game a lot as I'm adding art into it and checking that everything looks right. What's that process like for QA? Mm, for me, doing yeah. QA, it's sort of like, yeah, I was just like, for me, like my quality assurance check is more like, does it look nice? Like that's my main concern as the artist. So I'll be checking that like, if there's like an enemy in the level, does it, is it visible enough against the background I've chosen? And is it interfering with anything? Do I need to like change my layout for where I've placed decorative elements? Um and also sometimes there'll be like a little bug or something that slipped by and I'll be like, oh, hey, this is slightly broken. And <laughs> then we'll just make a task for it and fix it. Hmm. And you mentioned there that you've been working at home at the moment. Could you tell us what that's been like working from home for you? Hmm. It's not too bad. We've been working from home, like studio-wide, uh, since late March. Um, and I think we're managing all right. Uh, we've got like weekly video calls and stuff to touch base. Um, and I thankfully already had like a fairly decent home setup. Uh, so it wasn't too uncomfortable um, to change to just working from my home. And earlier on, um, before we went live, we were also mentioning that you have a bit of experience with freelance art as well. And what's the differences between working at a studio at home versus freelance? Hmm, I find I have a lot of... Um, autonomy with my work at Hipster Whale because I am just a single person like doing the art. I don't have to uh, manage too much. I don't have to like be on top of emailing mainly. I'm really grateful for Clara and Nerissa who take care of all the client side of, of my work. Um, it's really nice just being able to focus only on just making art and not having to do all of the extra work that comes from being a freelance artist. Now you described yourself as an art match ma- masochist. I can't say it. Masochist. Masochist. Like <laughs> my, my pronunciation not great. On Twitter, could you walk us through what that means? Ah, oh, okay. So that is sort of like a 
jerk at myself because I, in my personal work, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, so I just do things that are kind of painful, but like like uh, unwrapping UVs for hours and things like that. Um, just, yeah, the kinds of tasks that like wouldn't make sense to do commercially because <laughs> um, it's not a viable process. Uh, I've been working on this one project off and on for ages and it's like I need to just finish it, but I'm hurting myself by continuing on with it. <laughs> so that's uh, that's why I call myself an art masochist. So do you find like with things like retopology, for instance, there's a repeatable kind of process with that? And do you find that kind of relaxing? Uh, I haven't had much experience with retopo, mainly because my work is low poly enough that like I don't have to. Um, I do love actually creating a really nice clean topology. That's like one of my things I really love doing. (laughs) I like rotating my model around, looking at it from every angle and making sure it's all like smooth and perfect. Mm. So, how do you stop yourself from being a perfectionist in your uh, in your main job? Mm, yeah, that was, I think, like a really good uh, change to uh, figure out how to like take a step back. I think with my professional work at Hipster Whale, it's just a matter of like not so much like detaching myself from the art, but trying not to like be too invested in how it's going kind of just take a step back and be like oh it's okay if it's like a bit dodgy or not going exactly how I want it to because it's not like it's not something I'm doing purely for my own like enjoyment it's like a product Mm, and balancing those different deadlines as well with creative solutions I think can tend to lead to some pretty uh cool outcomes that Mm, yeah that's like yeah there's a lot of um things that can happen like through just trying to like meet a restriction like that lead to a lot of really nice creative um, outcomes, yeah. Mm. And Ashley, let's let's take a step back a little bit and talk about art in general and how did you first get into it? Mm, I have always been interested in art, but I didn't really get into it until like late high school. Um, I remember there was like a, uh, there was a competition for a local uni. I was on the Gold Coast at that time. Um, and it was an animation competition and I'd never done animating before, but I really liked, um, stop motion at that time, like, um, Ardman style, um, claymation and stuff. So I ended up entering into that, uh, with a stop motion film that I did in, um, year 12. And it was all just like filmed on like an iPod touch cause I didn't have a camera. Um, it was a very dodgy setup, but I actually ended up winning my division for that. And that sort of got me into doing it uh, as a potential career. So I had like a animation focus and then I went further and changed to like animation specifically for games. And what was that process like? Like um, the motivation to shift from doing animation to animation specifically for games? Mm. I really like animating for games because it's like something really fun about like playing as something you've animated like controlling it because like I guess when when I'm making a character like traditionally in a Maya um I like rig once I've rigged the character and started putting controls and stuff in there and you kind of just like grabbing its leg and making it do like a stupid dance uh, that's really fun but then when you're playing a game it's like that's your entire experience the whole time um I don't know it kind of just seeing your work come to life and be like interactive is really cool 
And then what's the the difference from you for doing uh, animation, like you said, and then concept art? Do you tackle those differently? Mm, yeah, I don't tend to do a lot of concept art these days because it's almost faster to just jump in and start iterating immediately. It's kind of weird with um, voxel art, although like for some things, yeah, I'll do um, thumbnails either like in my notebook or um, just in Photoshop. Yeah, I actually really depend on Leonie, my contract artist for concept art. Um, she's really great. That actually kind of leads into my next question. And because um, I saw you have a lot of experience in 3D programs such as, you know, 3DS Max and Maya and Magic of Voxel and that sort of thing. And for people doing concept art, how important is it to know 3D software? Mm, I think it's a good idea to be like aware of how your art's going to be translated, um, especially with voxel art. Uh, it's like you do like um, kind of loose sketches, but obviously that's going to look very different once it's been cubified. Um, so just, I think, being aware like of the limitations of the like final stage of your art so you don't put too much detail in. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess at the end of the day, too, it's just a tool to... Because in the production mm. pipeline, you know, you could be using 3D for overpainting or photo bashing and that sort of thing, and it does depend on the actual project that you're working on. Yeah, I find with um, when I'm doing environment art and assets, I just use like a lot of like photos of real things as my concepts. And then the fun point is trying to like take this really complicated real photograph of a thing and then make it into a voxel object. <laughs> it must be actually really satisfying being able to to get that done after like just hours of the challenge of making it work. Mm, yeah, I'm in my, like I mentioned earlier in my personal sort of art that I do, it tends to take like forever. Um, but my work at Hipster Whale is just like so fast. Um, it's really fun <laughs> working because I can immediately see the results working like straight away. I don't have to like go through all these different like steps in a pipeline. It's just like, bam, there. <laughs> and Ashley, what advice would you have for somebody that's trying to get in the games industry as an artist? Oh, um, well, I think the most important thing is a portfolio. So if you can work on that, more specifically, if there's like a studio or a company you really want to work for, I think trying to match their style in your own work is a really good way and doing like fan art. Um, I see a lot of people do like fan Overwatch characters, like they'll design their own, they're like their own personal version of what their Overwatch character would be like. And then they're like, fingers crossed that Blizzard hires me. And that has happened um, multiple times. So yeah, I think um, fan art, of studios you really like is a good step. And especially for being online too, um, what social media advice would you give to artists? And in your opinion, how important is it to stay connected to all these different companies and stuff? Mm, I think like for me, I predominantly use Twitter to sort of connect with everyone and sort of post about my work. And then I host it all on ArtStation as a more professional portfolio. Um, yeah, I guess just following the companies you're interested in and keeping in touch with, like, if they're hiring, things like that, if they've got any competitions on. So we've we talked a bit about um, making a portfolio, but how do you balance drawing as a hobby versus doing it for work? Hmm. Currently, like, I haven't done any personal work in a fair while, just 
being in lockdown as well, I think has a negative impact. So it's like harder to feel like doing stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, normally like because my workflow at work and at home, I'm always at home, but you know, at home are so different. Um, I think that helps a lot. Like I don't really do that much voxel art in my downtime. Sometimes I do like little experimental things. I'm working on one at the moment actually, but it's a secret until I post it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just like having a distinction between like, it's even harder now because like I'm always in front of the same computer. <laughs> mm. Having a clear distinction between professional time and like personal art, like growth time. I think for me, like I have to compartmentalize my time and then just put like, mm. in the morning I'm doing studies and then for the rest of the day, it's going to be whatever work that I'm, I'm after. Um, but also at a certain point, it's really easy to fall in the trap of just grinding and burning out, which is really dangerous, I think. And so I think having that allocated time, but not, not only that, having goals within those times just to be like, these are the three things I need to get done today. I'm going to do them. And once it's done, just giving yourself the permission to relax, I think is super mm. important. So, yeah, I've yeah. been doing a lot of relaxing these days. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And uh, that's all the time that we have for tonight. But if you would like to find out more about the game, you can head over to crossyroadcastle.com or at hipsterwell on hipsterwelldev on Twitter. You can also follow Ashley on Twitter at catchfreak, which is an amazing name, by the way. <laughs> that out. Thanks. Thanks for so. Uh, thanks so much for being part of our show tonight, Ashley. Thanks. It's been really cool. And thanks, Fiona, for joining me. Thank you. Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, myself, Adam Christo, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. We wouldn't have been able to make 152 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University, so please go check them out and tell them that we sent you. If you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we'll be sticking links to everything we talked about in the show notes on our website at www.pixelsift.com.au. You can also come and join us on Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and games and everything else. That again was pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can we ask you a quick favor? We need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters, start someone's journey into podcasts because we know that getting started is a little bit tricky, but once you're there, you'll never want to leave. And next week on the 20th of August, we will be back with Pixels of Plays and we're finally continuing continuing Coffee Talk, which I know we're all super keen for. So ready for. Please come check that episode out. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. 
Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 